The White House Strikes Back on the Border. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com down in San Antonio. We actually have breaking news to start with here, Jeremy. Last week, we went in-depth on the situation along the border, particularly the the section around uh, Eagle Pass, where there has been so much controversy over this buoy system that we've had to you know try to describe here and in fact just send people to our Twitter pages so people can look at what it looks like this flotation uh, system uh, flotation devices maybe has some netting underneath it I'm not sure I had people asking what's under there and you know I'm at this I'm at the point where I almost wouldn't even trust what was being said about what's under there, but um, there is some uh, new developments today. Uh, the White House sort of striking back uh, after the story went national after you were down there. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know, I dare say we have been so much in Eagle Pass. I might have to start renting an apartment there. It's like it just becomes so uh, consistent. We're, we know where to camp now off the river to kind of see all the action. But but yeah, so the Department of Justice has just announced uh, that they are going to sue Governor Greg Abbott. They sent him a note yesterday saying that he is violating uh, federal law. Uh, by putting those buoys in the water, they're saying he needed to get you know clearance from U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers and before doing anything like that because if it affects, uh, I think it's called the Rivers and Lakes Act or something like mm-hmm. that, Rivers yeah. and Harbors. Um, but the, so Abbott has violated that law, and think about how, the language of that is kind of you know you can feel the jab at Abbott, right? You know this is. Uh, you know, Abbott is fighting what he says are illegal immigrants coming across and the federal government's going, wait, they're not illegal. You're illegal. You know, you have put an illegal Mm -hmm. barrier in the middle of the river, violating this act of federal legislation before we even talk about violating all the treaties that you and I have gone into great depth in the last couple of shows on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the language, as you mentioned from DOJ, very pointed uh, on this. They intend to sue uh, Abbott's administration over it. Um, And in the meantime, I think that it is amazing. And I I was thinking of it this way, Jeremy, because we've talked about this before. Democrats have such a hard time talking about the border. They can never come up with a message on the border that seems to resonate. Um, And if I was, uh, you know, a top Republican official in Texas, I might right now be upset with Abbott for giving Democrats a way to really sink their teeth into this. Let me give you an example. Senator Roland Gutierrez, who, as you know, is running for U.S. Senate, first against Colin Allred uh, in a Democratic primary, and then eventually he hopes to run against Ted Cruz. We'll see how the primary goes. But Gutierrez was on MSNBC talking about Abbott's uh, border security measures, including these buoy systems. And he said that, you know, that Abbott may have, to your point about Abbott being, quote, illegal or acting illegally here, that maybe Abbott has committed multiple crimes at multiple levels. These are state crimes of child endangerment. They're federal crimes of using the color of your office and doing something illegal to these migrants. They are international crimes that we are seeing being committed every day on the border because of one man's decisions. And those decisions are based on nothing more than ambition. Ambition to do God knows what. He has not announced his presidency or his vice presidency. Now, of course, he's talking about something that was also first reported by the Houston Chronicle, and that was this uh, email uh, that was, I guess, leaked to uh, y'all. From uh, The email was sent from a trooper uh, with DPS to his supervisors, in which the trooper said that 
the border security measures have crossed the line into being inhumane. And the things he described were really disturbing. I've heard from a lot of people, including some Republicans, who said that they were upset about this, Jeremy. It said that uh, uh, the email said that some troopers had kicked children back into the river and that for, for all that razor wire that's been uh, put there along the banks, uh, that a woman who was pregnant got caught up in it yep. and had a miscarriage. Now, uh, Gutierrez said that uh, this is stemming from what he called Abbott's masochistic cruelty. And that's all I can say that this is, is cruelty, because there is no metric that they can count on. There is no metric that they can show that they have had any success over the last four years of Operation Lone Star. The last six weeks, we have seen greatly diminished numbers because the Biden administration re-implemented Title VIII, much to the chagrin of all of these Republicans that had us in court. Title VIII is a law enforcement protocol that keeps people out, tags them as they come in. Title 42, the chaos that was brought by Donald Trump is what has created the madness of the border. Let's be very clear with people and let's tell the truth. You also spoke with uh, Congressman Joaquin Castro uh, about this. I'll, I'll play some in just a second, but can you set the scene for us? What was the conversation about? Yeah, this is when we first got you know, word of you know this letter uh, circulating uh, from the trooper uh, to his supervisor. Again, this isn't some liberal who wrote this letter. This is a, a DPS officer mm-hmm. uh, who wrote this to his supervisors, you know, protesting you know, some of the things he was seeing on the on the uh, on the border, particularly in that section in Eagle Pass. So this is what Castro had to say about it. Craig Abbott's operation is dangerous and has interfered with. Border, border Patrol's ability to do its job and to save people's lives. So we have seen all these developments over the last couple of weeks, and I wonder now if we're starting to see some sort of breaking point with Operation Lone Star and the border security operations along the border that have cost Texas taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. Let me, let me just recap what these are, uh, these developments. One, you had reporting that suggested that the uh, operations of the state are literally getting in the way of what Border Patrol does down there, right? And you had reported on that, Jeremy. We talked about that at some length on our last show, uh, where what was going on? You have uh, certain instances where Border Patrol needs to be able to get access to immigrants, and you've got state resources uh, blocking their path. Yeah, the state is intentionally blocking the uh, uh, the border patrol agents from getting to the river. There's literally sh- sections where they've you know not just put fencing up to stop them from coming through, but they've now put razor wire to keep the again the border patrol from getting to the river. It's like we're not talking about just you know regular people here. The border patrol literally has these humanitarian you know sections set up to provide water uh, and medical care and shade and you know bathrooms to these migrants coming across. And now DPS has said no. We think that's a ma- a magnet for these migrants. So they've now put all these barriers to make sure that border patrol cannot give this stuff to these migrants. 
like understand that. And it's like, especially now when you put it in the context, I just want to kind of really hit that letter from the agent again. You mentioned some of the cases he saw, and I think it's mm -hmm. really super important that people understand the detail of some of these things that happen. You know, you mentioned the 19 year old woman who was stuck there in obvious pain in the yeah. razor wire that they, right. they had to cut her out of there to determine she was having a miscarriage. If that's mm -hmm. not churning her stomach enough, how about, you know, the man who had significant lacerations on his leg because of this razor wire uh, as he was trying to free a child who was stuck in it. You know, this is a migrant trying to free the child who's getting cut up, uh, trying to get to the child. Uh, yeah. And then there's a 15-year-old boy who's, who ends up breaking his leg, you know, trying to get around the barriers and the razor wire because the river in that section, we've talked about this a lot, is very different with each step you take. You never know what you're about to step into. Right. And so in this case, Operation Lone Star didn't succeed in sending these people back across the river. What they did is it succeeded in hurting them all and giving them medical treatment. And while I was there, I kept seeing ambulances coming to and from that section of the river to tend oh, yeah. to people. So people need to understand this is pretty in-depth, like real legitimate. That's why – and I think you, you've hit it spot on. It's like this this reminds me of when Trump was doing the separation of families. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the Democrats finally have something to say about the border, right, that, that can talk about, about the inhumanity that they hadn't been able to really kind of address. You know, most mm -hmm. of the time they've been like, oh, we just don't want to talk about this, get away from this issue. It divides Democrats. You've seen, you know, Joaquin Castro earlier has been blasting the Biden administration. He and Henry Cuellar have been on opposite sides on a lot of these issues about the border. But here they are. They're all together on this topic because of how terrible you know, what this trooper said, he's witnessing, you know, on the border. Yeah. Now, we have seen some pushback from uh, Republican uh, office holders about what uh, is being reported along the border. Uh, I, I have seen some tweets from state senators and state representatives, for example, who will say things like, you know, there's no way that our DPS is mistreating people. I saw where the DPS was putting out videos of uh, troopers giving water and doing uh, other sorts of hydration measures, including uh, IV drips uh, for some of these folks who uh, have come across the border. Um, that's a, look, if it's a he said, she said, let's just, because the Republicans are trying to make it sound that way, that this trooper said this, and so they're saying the opposite, right? It's just a he said, she said. Dear listener, if a trooper in the field said it, and then a politician who voted to spend billions of your dollars being spent down there, you know, uh, you know, for all these border operations, a politician says, no, 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 they're doing everything right. Who would you trust? Uh, that's, that's my question. I'm going to just put that out as a question right now. Who would you trust? And when Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick say that, and here's the message from the Democrats now, when they, when the, when the Republicans say, that we're doing what Washington won't do. Democrats can say, oh, yeah, because the feds won't kick kids back into the river, right? The, the feds won't run a pregnant woman through razor wire. They're, they're, we're doing what the feds won't do. Yeah, the feds won't do those things, right? Um, the, the Border Patrol complaining about our state operations getting in the way of them helping migrants, and none of this is amounting to, at least in the estimation of Republicans, none of it is amounting to better border security. 
Because all the same people who are defending Abbott now are the same ones who keep saying we have an unacceptable number of crossings at the river, even though we know that crossings are actually down, Jeremy. Well, and, and I think, again, you hit a, a really important point about this is not, you know, the media versus the government. This is this is literally a DPS officer having to write this to his supervisors. Now, mm-hmm. if you know anybody in law enforcement, uh, it, it, like, you would understand how hard it must have been for that guy to write the letter to begin with. You know, like there is a blue line in there. You're not supposed to, you know, write this stuff out. But look, you know, if they're seeing a problem, this guy wrote something that he knew was going to be a problem for him potentially. He was going to get blowback from others in you know, the, the fraternity, essentially. And yet he still did this. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I think this is super important to understand in terms of, you know, this guy has really put his neck out there. And now we're hearing some reports from the New York Times that there are others, uh, yeah. troopers yes. who have had seen the same issue. So, like, this is, this is, and again, we already heard from the Federal Border Patrol people in Eagle Pass who, you know, they didn't want to provide us that memo, but we were able to get a copy of that memo that showed mm-hmm. that they were having trouble getting to people. It's like, so, you know, who are injured and hot. You saw the videos on Twitter, probably everybody out there has probably seen it by now where you see, you know, uh, Border Patrol having to cut through DPS razor wire to get to people who are right. clearly suffering, right? And so there, it's not, you know, we're, we're not taking a side on that. We're just showing you this is literally law enforcement and federal law enforcement mm-hmm. bringing the issue forward. That's what Abbott's up against. He's not up against the media on this. He's not up against the Democrats. He's up right. against his own DPS officers who are like taking these orders and going, wait, I can't do this. Now, look, yeah. there's a lot of pushback. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people at DPS saying, we're not telling people to physically push people back into the river. Mm-hmm. But there's also you have to understand all those DPS officers aren't stationed there all the time. They're rotating in and out. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of new people coming in constantly and the potential of you know people misunderstanding what the rule is supposed to be or what they're supposed to be is really mm-hmm. great. Even DPS officials have told me that they understand that people may be misunderstanding what they're doing and they need mm-hmm. to make sure that it's not happening. They're not denying anything that was in that letter. You know, mm-hmm. what they're denying, what they're trying to say is we're trying to help everybody. They're not mm-hmm. saying no, but none of these people got hurt because they right. can't say that right now because we know they all got medical care. We know they've been sent to emergency rooms. We know they're being taken care of. Here's what uh, DPS Lieutenant Chris Oliveras uh, told Fox News Channel about that buoy system and why it is supposedly necessary. The river will deter any unlawful crossings, will prevent drownings, and also will prevent human smugglers from bringing people across the river into the country illegally. You have um, DPS in full spin mode on this, similar to the way they were in spin mode after the shooting in Uvalde, where you had a, and look, they're good at this, at spinning this stuff. for how long did we know about how many officers were on the scene in Uvalde while the DPS was basically acting like, oh, it was everybody else's fault. It was the, it was the police uh, for the local school district. It was the Uvalde police. It was other the border patrol was on the scene. There was a lot of confusion. There were all these people there. But Jeremy, as you know, and we have reported many times, the bulk of the officers who were there 
were Texas Department of Public Safety officers, right? We had um, an army of those guys run in. 91. But not go to the class. Yeah, 91. 91. I will never forget that number. Yeah. And nor shall you, listeners. (laughs) You will hear me say that for the rest of time. (laughs) Well, they shouldn't. And here's the thing. All these same people who would, on an elections issue, for example, if they say if there was one illegal vote, that's one illegal vote too many. All the same people now defending this, here's what I would tell them. One kid getting kicked into the river by an officer is too many. One pregnant woman having a miscarriage because she's caught up in razor wire is too many. And you have to believe that if those things happened once, similar things happen way more than once. Like you said, the, the, the medical teams were there helping people. These folks are dehydrated. They're making a horrible trip. How many? Here's, here's, another, here's another way to think about it. At most... The offense that's being committed by somebody coming into this country without inspection, most people who you know get so worked up about illegal immigration, they don't even know what the charge is. The charge is entry without inspection, which is a misdemeanor, right? Yep. No one, no one would say, uh, no one I would trust with, uh, with anything, <laughs> no one would say that they should have razor wire at convenience stores to keep people from you know, stealing gum or a Coke. But we're talking about the same level of a, a quote-unquote crime. But here's the other thing, and this is hard to explain to people. Most of these folks, as you've reported, are actually making an attempt to legally enter the country through the asylum process. And again, there is a process for that, but they're attempting to come here legally. It'd be as if they were coming to put something back in the store, or, or, you know, or, or they, they would be coming in to stock the produce section of the store. They're not there to steal things. They're there to add things. Yeah. Well, right. And well, and, and these and, people, as you said, as you said before, not to get on too much of a rant about it, but as you said, these are people fleeing war-torn countries yep. and communist dictatorships. The kind of folks we want here that we've always had coming here. Is it yep. an open border? No, we have not had an open border, quote unquote, since right after 9-11 when they shut it down. This thing has become so militarized that I'm starting to think about it in the same way as a war zone like Vietnam, where, you know, you have a lot of people who are going to be asking the question, are they really doing that with my money? Are they really, are they really spending my money to do that to women and children along the Texas, Mexico border? There are a lot of Republicans who are upset about this, who I've heard some hardened Republicans. In fact, some people who supported former president Trump, I remember when he was running originally in the 2016 cycle where some people would say, Scott, you know, he's not really going to build a wall. He's just talking about that. That's rhetoric. And in some ways that turned out to be right, right? I mean, they built some, but they didn't build the whole wall. But Trump never put buoys in the water. (laughs) Trump didn't have women getting caught up in razor wire along the river. I think these guys like Abbott and DeSantis and Abbott in particular, because he has the opportunity to do it because he oversees a state that shares border with Mexico. Abbott can't match Trump for rhetoric. So he's, he actually has to do the stuff to appear so tough. But at what cost, both in your tax dollars and in human rights? Well, there's a lot of good points here. Uh, so, so first of all, so uh, people should understand that, um, email from the DPS officer we got and the the uh, language we got from the border patrol in Eagle Pass complaining about DPS those two things both occurred those letters came out before the buoys were actually in place so imagine 
it's going to be worse now, right? It's like, so now it's like uh, this buoy barrier, which are these like big spherical balls that you can't get around, you can't get under. If you try mm. to grab onto them, they're just going to rotate and you could lose your grip and you're going down the river. And so, like, what other new damage are we doing to people who might be crossing the border? And one of the things I need to point out is, like, so, like, you know, in Eagle Pass at Shelby Park, where a lot of, you know, DPS are staged and, like, they have this audio message blaring across the river telling people to go back. Don't come across go back. You know, it's all in Spanish, of course, you know, trying to tell people to not come to the shore. But here's the thing, and, and you just alluded to this, understand what we're talking about. There are people coming from Venezuela who've been walking for a month, a month through a jungle. They went through, you know, all kinds of dangerous territory in, you know, southern Mexico. Uh, they've made it all the way to this border, and you're going to expect them to just turn back and go home? Like, I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. And mm -mm. even more ludicrous are the, the – again, we're seeing a lot of Haitian and Cuban migrants migrants right now. Yeah. They can't go home. How do you go home from Eagle Pass if you are supposed to be in Cuba? It's like, where are they supposed to go? And you have to understand – again, I've spoken to a lot of people in DPS and a lot of the migrants. And what happens a lot of times, the people on the other side in Piedras Negras, their documents have been taken. It's like, you know, the, the people they've worked with, the smugglers, to kind of get them there, have taken their paper. They don't have anything. They're not – this is not like they're going to JFK with a passport that they need right. to get stamped. They, they can't do that. They don't have any other documentation to go anywhere else. So while it might be laudable to not want them to come to the state of Texas, when we're pushing them across, it's like they can't go back there. It's like they just have to find someplace else to go. Thus, why you see migrants walking along the river, swimming along the river, no matter what age, looking for another place to cross because they can't go home. No matter how many audio messages DPS blares at them, no matter how many buoys are in place or how many razor wire, these people don't feel like they can go home. No matter how cruel Abbott's administration may act toward these people, it's still not as bad as where they came from. And so the, and, and these are people who are fighting for, and that's, that is not a, a, in any way a defense of what Abbott is doing. My point is this, these are people who are doing this for their children. These are people who are, you know, to have a pregnant woman get caught up in the, well, I'm caught on that because it's really unbelievable yeah. what we have seen where George W. Bush would have been completely against this. Rick Perry would have flirted with these people who support things like this. But I guarantee you, because I travel this state, I talk to people all the time, and so do you. I know for a fact there are people who right now, the base of the Republican Party, would hear me say that a kid got kicked in the river and a woman got caught up in that wire. And they would say, well, don't go for a swim if you don't want to get tangled up. That's the people that Abbott is playing to politically with yep. this. And they are the base. They are a lot, not all, but a lot of the base of the Republican Party. And that is that's the, also the line that Abbott and Patrick and the rest kind of have to walk here politically, which is you don't see Abbott on Fox News Channel talking about this now. Where is he? Has he been on Fox talking about it? Here's the thing. Anytime the border would be in the news, Abbott was running to a studio to be on Fox News Channel. But where is he now? He's tweeting about education freedom, which we'll get to later. But point is, he doesn't want to explain this, but I don't think that for the optics of this, I don't think that Abbott really minds that he's being portrayed as being cruel. Uh, 
because that's what a lot of people in the base of the Republican Party want to see when it comes to immigration and border security. Well, I can answer part of the question in terms of we know uh, Abbott was in France and uh, in Europe last weekend. Uh, so when some of the stuff was coming down, he was in Europe, uh, supposedly working on trade deals, what have you. Yeah. Well, why don't I play Tucker Carlson for a second and say, is that more important than the border? <laughs> Could, are there well, not TV studios in France? No, I see what you're saying. But he. You know, but, okay, but I don't and, think and so those he, guys like Tucker would, would take that for as an excuse. And, and, and look, and, and you know, I, I, at the risk of being repetitive, I, I just got to say, like, look, I understand the Republican frustration with what they're seeing at the border. Like, you go to Maverick County where Eagle Pass is, and you know, even though it's a very Democratic area, a lot of people are frustrated with how the number of people coming across. I've sure. said this a million times on the show, but Eagle Pass was not the place people used to cross. You rarely saw many people coming through, and now it is the absolute most cross section in the entire United States border. Anywhere. It's like mm -hmm. there's so many people coming across and Eagle Pass can't handle it. We know that. There's so many people showing up in places, you know, on people's land that people don't know what to do with. And like, and so I understand the struggle. And a lot of people there agreed to put the barriers up. But as I've spoken but, about before, right. mm -hmm. they're now going, changed. wait, wait, I didn't agree to this. You know, right. the this is what the important part is. It's like it's getting so much more militaristic to the point where, as we reported, you know, Benjamin Warman and I, uh, we reported earlier this week that there are landowners now who DPS has refused to let them use their own land. They can't get access to the river that they gave DPS permission to use. And DPS is saying, nope, you can't be on this land anymore. And when they complain, they put more razor wire up, almost kind of in spite of them. And so it's, now you have yeah. these people on the border who are Republican landowners mm -hmm. in some cases who are now sitting and going, what am I supposed to do here? It's like, I don't like I don't want to see, you know, women and children dying on the shores of my my land. It's like, and yet they're now having to be forced to take this. Again, we understand that the border crossings there are astronomical compared to anything we've seen in most of our lifetimes. We've never seen the number of crossings through there. And certainly I think Abbott is fair game to tell Joe Biden over and over again, look, you know, you clearly haven't secured this section of the border. He's absolutely right. That part has not been secured. I get that. But like you have to kind of put it in the fuller context of like how big this border is. You know, it's like oh, I've been telling it. people a 1200 mile border. Like you have to understand that is the equivalent of going from Boston, Massachusetts to Jacksonville, Florida. Right. It's like you want to build a wall from Jacksonville to Boston, Massachusetts. It's not possible. And right. when somebody stands in front of one section in like North Carolina and tells you what the weather is in Boston, don't believe them. You know, it's the same thing with the border. As Eagle Pass has gotten overrun, it's weird. The story that nobody wants to talk about is that the Rio Grande Valley has historically low border crossings right now. Right. Something has gone right where the number of border crossings there are now lower than when Trump was in office. It's like you don't see anybody on the right. You don't see Fox News talking about that. Look, the, like, these people, right. You're, you're, you're on target with it. I would say this, that for so many of these people who are coming in, uh, they are what the um, border security guys would call OTMs. These are other than Mexicans, right? They're coming yep. from other places. Exactly. Why is it – this is the bigger question, right? Because what you say is, is one layer of context. Let me add another one. The bigger question is why do those people need to come from these other places and why are they not coming from Mexico anymore? 
as much in, in, in as great a numbers. It's because of free trade with Mexico. Yep. It's because we have worked to improve the economy, the economic conditions that people live under in Mexico. These people are coming from war-torn places, places where there, there's crushing poverty. And all the same people who complain and have all these conspiracy theories about one world government and, and, and all of that, uh, they talk about uh, the globalists all the time. It's globalism works if you don't want undocumented immigrants coming into your country because you, if everybody works together to make economies better all over the planet, there's less of this, right? If, if you have more democracy and you have a better economy in these places, folks don't feel pushed out of those countries. They're not desperate to leave in Mexico as much anymore because we fixed that in a big way. Completely? No, of course not. But, but, but we did so much work. And here's the thing about it. It was driven right out of Texas, right out of here. It was the Greater Houston Partnership where they see, you know, in the boardroom there where they wrote NAFTA and they went and passed it, right? Uh, making all the trips to Mexico City and to Canada. I've talked with those business guys from back in, those, back in the day, back in the olden times, Jeremy, when we were all about cooperating with these other folks. And people in Houston would say that we are an international city and we don't have a choice about that. What we do have a choice about is what we do about it and how we address the rest of the world and how we cooperate with the rest of the world instead of being at war on our border with Mexico, which is now sort of a proxy war with these other countries that these people are fleeing from. I don't know how it couldn't, it, in my mind, it couldn't be less productive. Well, and, and, and one of the things I keep hearing is like, the, you know, the, the kinds of people coming across the border, right? You know, it's like uh, I've heard this talking point way too many times on Fox News that there are even Chinese people coming through that border. It's like as if like there's something, you know, amiss there. It's like, no, remember why they might be coming through there, right? Like these are Chinese, you know, citizens who are fleeing the Chinese government. You know, they're kind of on our side. And it's like, but you see this implication that somehow maybe the Chinese government is sending people, you know, to walk thousands of miles to get to the U.S. border. They don't have to do that. Come on, y'all. It's like we know this already. The Chinese can just fly them in on a tourist visa and they disappear and we never see them again. They, mm -hmm. they have many other ways to send people in here to spy on us. It's like they're not doing it through Eagle Pass, Texas in 116 <laughs> degree heat. That is what the, the heat down there, I will tell you, is worse than the heat we're feeling anywhere else in the state of Texas. It is baking down there. Now, mm -hmm. imagine baking in that sun as you're trying to cross a border that you've been walking a month for it's like right. those people are going under some severe strain and stress and all we have succeeded in doing with the five billion dollars is we've added more strain and stress and they're yep. not going home again they're gonna try to get here no matter what there is no going back it's like and i just i i don't understand like I just can't get to that next level of logic of like, so then why do we do this? Do we think that they're going to go home? They're going to, oh, shucks, I guess I got to walk back to Venezuela. Is that what's going to happen? Or, yeah. or is the um, North Korean guy who comes through there, which we have had a few North Koreans come mm -hmm. through there, is that person going to go, I guess I got to go home? It's right. like, no, it's not happening, y'all. It's I don't know um, what the the path out of it is, but I will also say I have some sympathy for the troopers who are there. Yes. I remember in 2014, 
um, at when uh, Rick Perry started had, had started some of this, uh, moving some of the DPS down to the border, uh, rotating shifts, and uh, officers were either doing their traffic control either you know in the Austin or Houston areas, or they were doing traffic control down there. Right. They were they were you know, they were writing tickets down there. And I had an officer who happened to be stationed at the Capitol doing security. Um, he told me that if he had known and he had just signed up with DPS at that time, if he had known that his mission was going to include going down there every couple weeks, he would not have left the sheriff's department where he worked before. Yeah. And instead, he, he would uh, you know, he would continue to just patrol local streets. He said he had uh, he, he was, you know, newly married with a new baby. And was missing out on his kid's life because he's down there to write traffic tickets in the Rio Grande Valley, which made absolutely I mean, yep. the guy was really frustrated, Jeremy. And I, and it's only worse for those guys now. Um, and, and if anybody thinks, here's the thing, you can only push people so far. Like you said, there's a lot of extra stress. If, if anybody thinks that one of those guys down there wearing that uniform in that hundred plus degree heat has never kicked anybody because he was frustrated then you don't live in the real world, right? If you don't believe that that kind of thing is happening, then I'm sorry. You you have blinders on or something because you know how people behave. I mean, people are so angry anyway about what's going on on the border. Add in the heat, add the extra stress, add the extra people there, the blaring of the messages to go home, the buoys in the water, the razor wire everywhere. And it really does look like a war zone. The people who complain about the border being a war zone are turning it into one. Well, and, and, and boy, as if we needed an added complication, what you were just saying there, it's not just Texas DPS guys down there in the Texas National Guard. Remember, these other Republican governors have sent their state troopers to our state, too, and the other National Guard members. So I'm watching Missouri National Guard members walking the coastline of the Rio Grande River, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm watching, you know, Florida DPS going up and down those roads too. We don't know, like, what are those guys doing? And what do, do they have to listen to DPS if DPS is doing the right thing? It's like there's so many layers of complication in this thing. Like who's giving the orders to those guys? You know, it's like, you know, I would not be surprised if like the way, you know, other, you know, state troopers from other states are, treating people down there would be different from the way our guys are. It's like, I've met a lot of DPS troopers who are great people, including down in Eagle Pass. I talked to several of them while I was down there sometimes because they were pushing me back from places they did not want me, but that's another story altogether. But they were always respectful. They always helped me out, you know, make sure like I kind of knew what they were trying to tell me. I get Mm -hmm. it, you know, but the strain that they're under right now, and now that they're kind of pitted against the federal border patrol guys who they Mm -hmm. used to work with, like it just added so much tension down there. And I just like everybody's job down there is harder right now. And it's hard not to think that, uh, again, depending on where you are politically, it's either Joe Biden's fault or Greg Abbott's fault. I don't care. It's like those guys' jobs are harder regardless of who you want to point the finger at right now. Mm-hmm. And it's all a big mess. And I wish like maybe everybody on top was kind of paying a little bit more attention to what are we doing to these troopers and these state National Guard members? Again, mm-hmm. they're state National Guard members. These aren't like you know guys who like – they're just kids a lot of times, no offense, but like we're talking about like some young men and women who are just, you know, sent down there as part of this rotation that maybe they did not agree to really what they they did not know. This was what their life was going to be. And they're being thrown down there to be put into this like conflict 
with federal and state people as they push you know women and children away from the river depending on how you want to define push <laughs> yeah that's well it's um it's just really disappointing. We'll, we'll continue to follow this and we'll see what happens with that lawsuit that uh, DOJ is apparently now going to bring uh, against the state of Texas over these border security issues. Uh, did you see this, that uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick issued a gag order in the impeachment proceedings against Attorney General Ken Paxton, and he issued that gag order on the day before it was disclosed that Patrick accepted $3 million from Paxton supporters. There's a group, I mean, I had a, I had a guy who's been doing Texas politics for 45 years or so. He said, I have never seen anything as corrupt as this. It's my understanding that the new GOP caucus chair in the Texas Senate, Joan Huffman, uh, this is from a Republican source that Senator Huffman went to Patrick and asked about that because uh, there are Republicans who say, hey, I, actually, this maybe doesn't look that good that this has come out. Um, and, and, of course, Patrick's not commenting about it. It's sort of um, in, a, in an interesting, neat little way. He has you know, put the gag order in place so he can just say, well, we can't talk about anything that has to do with, with Paxton. And so, of course, then, you know, other people who might criticize him for it can't talk about it either, like the yeah. House impeachment managers, right? They can't talk about it either because of the gag order, right? Uh, apparently, Patrick told Senator Huffman that it's, it's not a big deal. He doesn't see it as a big deal. Not even an issue. The group that gave him the $3 million, and here's an interesting wrinkle in this, they gave him a million-dollar check and a $2 million loan. So it wasn't just accepting cash from this group called Defend Texas Liberty PAC, which is all the same people that were involved with Empower Texans when that was a thing. Empower Texans never dies. It's like a vampire. It just has different names. So Empower Texans folks who gave Paxton a million-dollar loan almost 10 years ago in 2014 when he was in a runoff with Dan Branch for the attorney general's office, it's the same people who are now giving Patrick a $2 million loan, as Paxton is about to go on trial. Now, how many times have you heard people like Tony Busby, who is Paxton's lead attorney in the case, and other supporters of Paxton, how many times have you heard them say, Jeremy, when, when they talk about the impeachment proceedings, that no court would operate this way? Don't they always say that? No, this would not be how it would be handled in a courtroom. Well, in what court, let's put a real fine point on it. In what courtroom would the judge in the case, which Patrick's acting as here, as the presiding officer of the Senate, in what courtroom could supporters of the defendant give the judge $3 million and the judge would not be recused immediately? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, come on. Yeah, yeah imagine imagine a scenario where the Texas Supreme Court is about to hear a case, right? You know, and you <laughs> hear that, like, you know, say it's going to be on, you know, uh, uh, a case on Medicaid fraud. And yes. you have all these doctors who just start loading up the attorney general with donation or the, uh, the uh, Supreme court justice yeah. with donations. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, of course we're going to write about that. And it's like, and th that's what's happened here. Patrick, Pat, I don't understand. They don't need the money right now. They can and just say, don't give us right. anything. We don't want your check until after this is over. It'll look bad. I had uh, a veteran of the lobby, uh, someone who represents business interests say that if fundraising was illegal during special sessions, I bet we'd have a lot fewer of them because, because you, as you know, during the regular session, fundraising is not legal. There's a blackout yeah. period. And to, to what you said there, to add to that, Patrick just doesn't need the money. He has about $20 million in his, in his campaign account anyway. He doesn't need it. And a lot of people have speculated that he's not even going to run again. And he says he is. 
But remember, he also said that he wasn't <laughs> before <Yep>. that. <laughs> so he flip-flopped on that. Um, KXAN reporter Monica Madden was speaking with Speaker Dade Phelan from Beaumont, uh, the Republican uh, uh, leader of the House, uh, about this ongoing campaign on billboards and social media by the same group, Defend Texas Liberty PAC, is running ads everywhere defending Paxton ahead of the trial. And Madden's asking whether that's going to have any impact on what the senators do when they sit as the jury in the case. We're seeing a PAC that is calling on uh, senators to stand with the attorney general, suspended attorney general. Do you think that that might have any effect on the outcome? I certainly hope not. I hope external pressures will will not play a part in what I think is a a very important uh, piece of democracy. And that is the checks and balances on someone who did something wrong. And I hope that the senators don't in any way uh, feel any pressure from outside sources. I know many of them personally. I've not talked to them, obviously, about this at all uh, because they are jurors now. And that's not that's not a proper thing to do. But and I hope just like I'm not going to talk to them about this. I hope they don't talk to others as well. And I know that I know they're going to do the right thing in the Senate. Speaker Phelan said outside groups putting pressure on senators are trying to distract from the real point here. We are having this discussion because the attorney general and his office came to the House and Senate and asked for $3.3 million. And we started an investigation to see if that was a worthy use of taxpayer dollars. And we, that started months and months and months ago. I stand behind what happened in the House and I'm proud of the work product that the board of managers put forth. And uh, we have a good team. And it was the right thing to do. The Republicans who voted for this uh, impeachment are not backing down at all, Jeremy. I haven't heard any of them apologize for their vote, uh, even though there have been all these different AstroTurf groups that are trying to whip people up about it. It does seem to me now uh, that and you know, we, we saw this really um, coordinated effort earlier in the year, right after the impeachment vote, uh, to get grassroots Republicans angry at those GOP members of the House who voted to impeach Paxton. It seems like they might have shot their, uh, their, their, as the kids say, they, you know, you should shoot your shot. They might have shot their shot too early because I wonder if sort of some of the uh, air has come out of that. I don't know that people are, are, are as angry about it as they might have been a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever. Uh, and we still have what, five weeks or something to go before the trial is going to start. You're going to see a lot more of this uh, online, um, you know, uh, effort uh, to try to whip up grassroots Republicans about it. I wonder if you won't see the current acting attorney general go to war with Washington over something. Let me think, like, what could they do? Uh, Maybe file a countersuit against the administration over border security, something like that. I I really find it hard to believe that the rank-and-file Republicans out there are really that mad that Paxton might be removed from office. Um, Because if you ask this question of of base conservatives, they'll all agree with the premise that, hey, if Paxton's really removed, do you think Texas is going to stop fighting with Washington in court? Does anyone believe that? That, that, That Texas is going to stop fighting Washington about immigration and border security, abortion, gun rights, gay rights, whatever else, you name it, the, the environment, climate change. Uh, do you think that the, uh, the, the, the attorney general's office is suddenly now going to be run by Democrats and liberals? And here's one other thing I would add to that. Did you know, I've mentioned this a couple, in a couple of places, did you know that 11 of the 19 Republican senators in the Texas Senate drew four-year terms? Right. So if you add it up, 
with the Democrats that are there, which is 12, you get to enough to remove Paxton. Does anybody really believe that four years from now, anyone will even remember this as far as when it comes to an election? Are you in a, in a primary four years from now, are you going to be able to whip up the base against a Republican senator because they voted to remove Paxton four years ago? No, no one's going to even care about that. Yeah. They'll it, say it, who? They'll say Ken who? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, in terms of that, that Republican, you know, blowback, remember, you know, Ken Paxton's problems were bridged too far for Louis Gohmert. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. I'm telling <laughs> it's like Louis Gohmert has a pretty far line <laughs> that you have to go before Louis Gohmert said, that's it. Well, I've had enough. I'm going to quit my seat in Congress and I'm going to give it all up to make a statement against Ken Paxton. So the the the, the Republican from Tyler, Texas, uh, kind of gave us the baseline that like, look, there's plenty of protection on the Republican, you know, wing of things to go up against Ken Paxton just because look he it's just so many issues you know with him at this point uh, I just can't see a lot of people like stressing out that oh no what will we do without Ken Paxton there right now right, right. um it, it seems to be all drummed up but uh, look at the look at the amount of money that that group that is doing basically nothing nothing else right now other than supporting Ken Paxton look at the money that they gave to Dan Patrick and understand that that cash, the $3 million is the tip of the iceberg with that group, right? I mean, they, they can shower money all over the senators. They can run text message campaigns, radio ads, TV ads, billboards everywhere. This is what, who gives to that group? It's the West Texas billionaires that we've always told you about. It's the Wilkes brothers of Cisco who were big supporters of Ted Cruz, right? When he ran. Um, and it's Tim Dunn who was the chairman of empower Texans when it was a thing. And now he's, and it was Tim Dunn who collateralized the million dollar loan for Paxton when he was running against branch almost a yeah. decade ago. So all the same people. And I've been thinking about the fact that we in Texas now in, uh, in our current reality in politics, we're living with the consequences of the 2014 GOP primary runoff. That's when Dan and Patrick secured the nomination for Lieutenant governor and Paxton secured the nomination for attorney general. There would not be any of this impeachment stuff happening. We, it, look at the way that Texas government has continued to move further and further to the right over the last decade. Abbott has followed right along with those guys, even though there was a lot of hope when he came in. I remember a lot of people saying, uh, you know, he's the kind of Republican that um, that will show us what it would be like if Kay Bailey Hutchison had ever won the governor's office. She, she wanted that, right? She ran back in 2010 against Perry. Uh, he ran to her right and demolished her. Because in the primary, because Perry was always sort of wily and understood what was coming down, what was coming down the line politically. His whole career was like that. When he was one of the first Democrats to switch to Republican, he was one of the first Republicans to get in front of a big Tea Party group. One of the yep. first, you know, big national Republicans to do that. And at the time, Hutchison's uh, crew they thought that oh, Perry is committing political suicide to be out there on the south steps of the Capitol, where people are. Uh, waving Confederate flags, and he was shouting states' rights. But he was yeah. about to whip her. He was about to beat her like a rented mule in that primary, which is what happened. And at that point, think of it this way. This is a big shift in Texas politics. At that point, Kay Bailey Hutchison was the, was the number one vote-getter in Texas history. And Perry beat her by going to the right, and that we have been on the march toward that ever since. So we'll watch what happens with... The uh, the whole Paxton thing. It'll turn into like uh, court TV here. 
<laughs> as we <laughs> as we covered that impeachment trial uh, coming up in September. Uh, Will Hurd is making the rounds, and you noticed that he was uh, where he was on The View. Is that on ABC? Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed uh, part of his commentary was interesting because he got some pushback from the from the folks on The View when he said that there are plenty of people in the Republican Party who want to see someone in the White House that is nothing like Donald Trump. Campaigns are not complicated. They're just hard. And there are more people in the Republican Party that dislike Donald Trump than like Donald Trump. And we have to activate those. Where are they? They they, they exist. (laughs) Look, 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 they exist. I hope some of them are watching this show, right? And if some of them are watching this show, go to hurtforamerica.com and give me $1 to help me get on that debate stage, right? They push back, but then they gave him credit for the good plug, Jeremy. Uh, but I think it is an important discussion. I, look, I, I, I want to hope that Heard is correct, <laughs> that the former congressman is right, that there's enough Republicans out there who want something different. But I'm kind of with the ladies on the view here. I don't know that there are a lot of Republicans who want something that isn't at least Trump-like, which is why you guys, you know, you've got DeSantis and all these other guys running around trying to be mini Trumps. Yeah, and, and, and like I just want to peel back for a minute on like so so why is he asking for a buck there, right? You know, and he said it a couple other times during the show. Oh yeah, you know mm-hmm. he kept dropping it in there. So why is he doing that? Well, here the thing is like we're on August twenty third is the first Republican primary debate. Uh, where, you know, if, assuming Trump and DeSantis show up, all the people who want to get that momentum or want to have a fighting chance have to get on that stage. Right now, Heard uh, 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 does not have you know, he has not hit the threshold to get on that stage. What he needs is 40,000 unique donors to be at a qualified to get on that ballot. And he has to show up at 1% in at least three national polls. Uh, mm. He's not there. Uh, and you, that's Anywhere why he's close, on the yeah. view making that pitch for a dollar because he he knows he's short of that threshold and he has to get on that stage if he's going to have any shot to be one of those guys who gets that you know moment in the sun. You know, mm-hmm. think of guys like you know uh, Rick Santorum, you know, and that one election cycle, or Newt Gingrich, right. or, or Herman Cain, people who have had that minute. At least they're on stage, they get a little momentum, and at least they were talking about them for a while, and they're a mm-hmm. legitimate contender. That's where everybody is right now, trying to get on the stage right now, because the Republican National Committee has set such you know difficult rules to kind of get on that stage. Even Mike mm-hmm. Pence has not qualified to get on that stage right now. I thought that was going to be a slam dunk, but he was still struggling to get yeah. to that $40,000 individual donations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's one, there's one candidate, uh, you know, I think it's Doug, uh, Doug oh. you know, Bargum up in uh, North it? Dakota. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that guy, you know, he's hitting the qualification, <laughs> but he's only doing it because he's offering people a $20 gift card if they'll send him a dollar. <laughs> Which is like, like I'm not sure if that's politics anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's like any sort of belief system. Then, like, no, no, I want that twenty dollars gift card. It's like, you know so he's the, gonna hit the qualification if he gets on stage and Will Hurd doesn't. <laughs> it's like, do what? You, do you know what the gift card is for? 
I have no idea, no idea. but I heard both Mike Pence and Will Hurd have both complained about it saying, I'm not going to stoop to the level of giving people gift cards just so I can get on that stage. <laughs> well, they might want to think about it. Um, so is it fair to say, cause, and you followed this uh, close, more closely than I have, is it fair to say that the RNC is trying to cut down on, uh, dramatically cut down on the number of people that will be on that stage where we don't see the same thing that we saw in 2016 where they have to have two debates? Yep. Of the of the of you know ten people and then ten more people. It's not yep. even a debate. It's people saying one sentence and Trump dominating the whole thing. Well, and it really stung for people who were at the kids' table, as they were calling it, right? right. You know, poor Lindsey Graham doesn't hit the number, so he's stuck on stage with a bunch of people you will never hear from ever again in your life. You know, trying to make his case. Chris Christie ended up there at one point, and like they're trying to kind of make that you know jump to the to the big boy table, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and so in this case, that's why the RNC did this. They don't want that free for all in the same kind of way. They kind of want a more limited. They don't want shots coming out of left field. And it's funny. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because of Chris Christie, you know, because he was pretty aggressive. You know, it's like you know taking shots at Trump and everybody else. And it's like, and so I'm wondering if they're just trying to get rid of some of those bomb throwers who can kind of get that moment in the sun. So that's one of the things happening here. But in, the other thing on the presidential level, and I'm still kind of going through the numbers, but you know, yeah. folks can expect to see a lot more in this coming up. But, you know, as, as much of a struggle as Ron DeSantis's campaign has been a little bit, it's not because of Texas. I was looking at the campaign finance reports. The guy has raised $2 million out of Texas, you know, in the short time that he's been you know, running. That's more oh, yeah. than Trump has raised in that same time period. It's more than everybody has raised out of Texas for that, you know, during this time period. So you kind of almost get the sense that, you know, DeSantis definitely knows where the money is in Texas. He's made trips to yeah. Midland. He's got oh, a yeah. lot of oil money yeah he's getting a lot of backing out there from a lot of you know kind of key people in the the political donor network uh so he has some financial strength coming to him Mm -hmm. from texas the question is can that be converted into something that makes any sense up in new hampshire right now it doesn't look like it he's clearly struggling Mm -hmm. in new hampshire it's like i think i saw like he's doing his second reset of his campaign, trying to <laughs> yeah. he's trying to kick people out of here and put new people in here and right. doing all this kind of. They're doing a lot of weird stuff in their campaign, uh, and I'm I'm I don't want to call him the next Tim Pawlenty yet <laughs> or the it's, next Scott Walker. And if you're asking yourself, who the hell are those people? Those well, people were once front runners for the Republican right. nomination. <laughs> yeah. the, the fact that people would ask who that is makes your point, right? Yes. Who is who are you talking about? <laughs> the um, Tim Pawlenty of he, our time. <laughs> well, have you? And maybe you don't know. And forgive me if you don't. But has has DeSantis done any better in Iowa so far? Uh, he's even further back in Iowa. You he's know, it's clear. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that's starting to happen, you can see there's, you know, like, you know, a lot of folks are going to switch over to New Hampshire and just start pounding yeah. the pavement there. Because right, there's yeah. a feeling that maybe they can do more damage to Trump. Uh, in New Hampshire to get that head of steam going. So watch for a lot more focus up there from the likes of Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis, somebody trying to become the alternative to Donald Trump. But again, we're kind of almost having a replay from where we were, you know, eight years ago, where it's like, if you split Mm -hmm. the anti-Trump vote eight ways, guess who wins? Trump. Right. And, you know, in Iowa, you know, that is such a different animal um have you been to the iowa caucuses yes it is it, you know you, and for for folks who haven't it is not what you are used to it, you, you don't go into a booth and just vote 
you get with a group of people and argue about who who ought to be president. Yeah, it is one of the neatest things I've ever seen, but it's a mess. And do you? And so here's what happens: people people will walk into, for example, I was uh, at a school gymnasium in Des Moines, in Des Moines area, and uh, there's a school gymnasium where there's four groups in each corner of the gym, and somebody in each group holds up a sign that says that this is the group for you just make it up. This is the, this is the group for um, oh who was uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg. And here's the group for Clinton over here, and here's the group for whoever else. And it here's the, and and what well, was Biden last time that the time that I was there, and um, they try to get people to come over to their group <laughs> any way that they can. You know, I mean, hey, you know, I'll I'll bake you a pie if you'll come over to our group. You can say anything, make your case about the candidate, why you like the candidate, but you can also say, hey, remember how I gave money to your kids, uh, you know, 4-H thing. <laughs> Why don't you come with us? It's a mess. And do you remember Buttigieg, quote unquote, won the Iowa primary or the, the caucus? Because just because he said it, yeah. they still didn't have the numbers. And so he rolled into New Hampshire with all this, uh, this, um, <laughs> with all this momentum, they were called Pete Mentum or something. Um, but they didn't have the number, the official, the, you know, the Iowa Democratic Party had messed it all up because they changed the rules. Some, and of course, it's Democrats trying to be extra fair to everybody. If it was Republicans, they would just say fairness ends in the third grade. But the Democrats, you know, they wanted to make it extra fair. So the allocation of the votes was was changed up. Uh, and I tried to ask <laughs> at the time, I tried to ask uh, a professor there who's uh, deeply embedded in Iowa politics. I said, is this going to work? Can you explain how these rules are going to work? And he couldn't. So that's how bad it was, you know, going into that election. Buttigieg just declared that he won and went on to New Hampshire. New Hampshire is laser focused. It's it's the it's more like the kind of election you're used to, but it's a lot fewer people. Where yeah. you can go, I mean, I you know, I saw Ted Cruz work the room at a VFW hall. I was in a school gym with uh, Joe Biden while Sean Hannity's walking around interviewing Democrats. <laughs> um, the whole thing just you know, as interactive as it could be, full contact, and um, and you can, and, and these these contests, whether people think it's fair or not, they set the tone. You know, I mean, it, it can be overcome. I mean, look at the way Biden came back strong in South Carolina, some of the other states afterwards when he didn't do well at first. Um, but you know, Barack Obama, it's a big surprise in Iowa, right? How is that possible because of the way they worked it? Yeah, and, and and particularly in the Republican side, Iowa has a tendency of picking the loser. <laughs> They've they, they picked you know George H W Bush over Ronald Reagan. You know and they picked Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz over right. you know Donald Trump. You know they've right. had a real problem there, and I think that's why a lot of candidates are like, okay, like Iowa, I would like to win it, but really you have to win New Hampshire. That's where like uh, when the uh, the two thousand eight campaign rolled into uh, New Hampshire, that's when you saw uh, John McCain get his footing and start to surge. You know, mm -hmm. th then he went, went on to win South Carolina and you know, of course he became the nominee. So it's like, you know, I think that's, you know, just watch a lot coming out of New Hampshire, you know, again, and Texas's role in this. And I think, you know, DeSantis has shown it. We are the ATM machine. You come here, you raise your money, you take it to New Hampshire, run a bunch of ads, come back mm -hmm. to Texas, raise some more money, go back there. We are funding all of that activity up in New Hampshire, folks. So when y'all are watching that, realize that's Texas dollars making that machine dance up there. It's already wearing me out to be talking about presidential politics. I'm going to try to avoid it as much as I can, but the race is on. True. And here comes, 
Pride in the backstretch. All right. Um, that's it, Jeremy. I'm done. And you're done. I can see it on your face that you're done. Our producer, I need to go break Evan some Scherer. more news, man. It's like, you know, I'm not done breaking news. If, you, our, if y'all our, aren't watching the Houston Chronicle, you're going to miss a lot. <laughs> stay there at uh, quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, expressnews.com. Just make those your homepages uh, for, for all your news, uh, over the weekend and going forward, follow Jeremy, sign up for his newsletter. You can uh, get the link for that at, at Jeremy S Wallace is his Twitter handle. And it's the pinned tweet. It's real easy to find every once in a while. I'll even be nice enough to retweet the link to his newsletter. So you can check it out. Uh, and of course, uh, we will see you here next time. Mm-hmm.